Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest that is happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Cantor, your host, alongside Jordan Haynes and L.A. Wilshaw. We look back on all the action that happened in the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard. An incredible scrap for the race win between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen has resulted in the Dutchman passing him on the penultimate lap and extending his lead at the top of the Drivers' Championship. London Norris and Daniel Ricciardo's performances have seen McLaren leapfrog Ferrari back into third in the constructors. Could we see them fight for a race win this year? The Syrian Grand Prix at the Rebel Ring is lined up for this weekend. Can Rebel make it four in a row on their home track? Hello, Jordan. Hello, LA. How are you? And we've done round seven now. We're nearly a third of the way through the campaign. And we had another, I'm tempted to say cracker, because we all felt that it was going to be a straightforward race at Paul Ricard with just a simple one-stop strategy and then nothing too much else. Did we see that? Not a bit of it. LA, we'll begin with you. Welcome to the, uh, welcome to the show. How did you find the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard? Thank you, Tom, and thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, actually, I, I did find it, it went really quickly. I don't know if anybody felt that. Uh, I, I sometimes think some races just feel like they're going on and on and on, don't you? Or there's a really long, draggy middle bit. Um, but I actually found that this went quite quickly. And there was obviously a reason for that, because there wasn't just the usual uh you know few cars up the front that looked like they were set for the race you know there were lots of battles going on behind and there were lots of different strategies as well going on behind you know and if you looked a little bit further down the field you could see there was a, there was a bunch from from p5 beyond you know probably down to about i think maybe p10 that were within one two seconds of each other so for me i was keeping my eye on that as well you know and watching what was going on there so i i actually found it really exciting and considering that you know there was this build up beforehand that um you know Paul Ricard might not be the, the most uh, action-packed race on the calendar I actually found it was a wonderful surprise uh, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah I very much enjoyed it as well Jordan I'm sure you very much enjoyed the race of Paul Ricard you may have been thinking oh it's going to be one of those races again at Paul Ricard isn't it but you must have felt that with the mix of strategies going on particularly between Mercedes and Red Bull you must have think boy, if we got a race on here, we could be all of a sudden seeing the typical Hamilton versus Verstappen fight and we got what we wanted. Yeah, I was I was expecting quite a boring race. I think everyone was really. And um, it obviously didn't turn out that way. As soon as we got into turn two of the first lap, I was like, wow. I was like, this is going to go completely different. And then it was just waiting for the strategies between Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, and obviously Red Bull came out on top with them. Um, so it was interesting to see that Red Bull played Mercedes at their own game and it took them by surprise. So it was definitely one to keep in mind of like the best race of the season so far. Yeah, and it was a brilliant showing. And it was almost like a repeat of Bahrain where we saw Hamilton for Verstappen fighting out for the race when it was a very intense ending to that. Hamilton went into that particular race as like the underdog to Verstappen because Verstappen no doubt had the quickest car both in pre-season testing and at the race weekend itself and Hamilton just fought back and was able to hold on to the race win um, in the end. This time around with Verstappen doing the two-stop it was very much neck and neck I would say in terms of the tyre degradation between those two because whilst Hamilton was on older hards and Verstappen was on newer mediums Verstappen was being stuck in the turbulent air unlike Lewis was so it, you can look at it more ways than one 
on that one. But Verstappen's determination and doing so on the penultimate light just brought the race into life and most certainly the championship as well. And the good thing about it is, even though Verstappen has won, the championship is far from over. Would you say, Ellie? Um, yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate Lewis Hamilton. You know, he isn't the seven-time world champion for no reason. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not, every season hasn't always necessarily been in his favour. And, you know, his car has not always necessarily been the best car. Um, so the, you can't underestimate this guy. He's not a seven-time world champion by accident or just because he's in a great car with a great team. You know, you have to remember that Mercedes is still um, quite a young Young team in the in this modern era uh you know and he moved from McLaren to Mercedes and he built that team around him and and they got experts you know from all over the place or they developed the the, the people around them to become so expert you know he didn't just land on his feet he didn't just arrive you know like like a, a football team like Barcelona or something you know the, this team was built around him if, if you if, if we all think about that and it's not just a happy accident you know this is a lot of hard work gone into this team and gone into all these championships and the one thing that Lewis does offer is even when he's not in the best car, even when he's at a disadvantage, he seems to find that something extra. And that's what makes world champions at the end of the day. It's that just something extra that they pull and, and they, they get from inside them, uh, you know, and for me, it's definitely not over, but we have to remember the domination that Red Bull had for all of those years you know, with Sebastian Vettel and with Mark Webber and then, you know, and then Dan, Dan Rick followed, you know, they know how to win championships. They know how to win races. And, um, you know, they might have been a bit quiet for the last couple of years, few years, but, but don't underestimate them either. I'm, I'm quite excited because Max, you know, is, is such a, a technician and in that respect he's actually very similar to Michael Schumacher you know to, to have the technical side of the racing um, from my point of view he, he's incredibly quick and incredibly good and he takes no prisoners whereas I think Lewis is maybe getting a little bit like oh, all right then just let him pass you know I'd, I'd rather finish second and get some points because he, I don't think he made it that difficult for Max um, but then why would he try and make it that difficult because he knew that he was going to get past him at the end of the day I think I'm not sure if we're going to touch on this but the one thing that I was a little bit disappointed in was Valtteri not putting up just a little bit more of a fight and there might be something a little bit more to that than, than maybe what we know I'm not sure yeah touching on Bottas actually LA thank you and he was deeply deeply frustrated Jordan about the fact that Mercedes didn't pit in for a second time what's your reaction to this do you feel for Valtteri I do and I don't. I'm so mixed feelings. I feel like there was no need for him to react the way he did on like the radio back to the team once he'd finished. I think that's uncalled for. Like, I get you're frustrated, but at the end of the day, your, ch your team chose that strategy. You can't go back on it once the race is done. There's no, there's no point. And he has had it tough recently like he's had a few mistakes by the team and himself but there's the, like there's nothing to you can do after the race is done so 
I do think that radio message back to the team was so uncalled for. Yeah. Let us know what you felt about uh, Belgium Bottas' reaction as well, um, if you're watching on YouTube um, back. So having a look on the French Grand Prix results for 2021, Max Verstappen taking his third victory of the season. He's now level on race wins with Lewis Hamilton. Lewis finishing second behind him, just two seconds adrift, but he's still very much in play for the championship. Sergio Perez picking up another podium for Red Bull in third place. Valtteri Bottas was fourth ahead of Lando Norris, who is very much best of the rest in fifth place, ahead of his teammate Dan Ricciardo putting another brilliant drive in the second McLaren. Pierre Gasly was a solid seventh on home serve, followed by Fernando Alonso bringing the first of the Alpine cars coming in, in uh, eighth place. Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll in the two Aston Martins picking up the last points in ninth and 10th. Carlos Sainz, disappointing race for him in 11th and the last driver on the lead lap. George Russell was 12th, picking up Williams's best result of the season so far, which sees them leapfrog back in front of Haas into ninth place in the Constructors' standings. Yuki Tsunoda was 13th, followed by Esteban Ocon. Antonio Giovinazzi was 15th. Charles Leclerc, a really, really shocking 16th position, followed by Kimi Raikkonen in 17th. Nicholas Latifi was 18th, and then it was Mick Schumacher and Nikita Maspin, the last of the finishes. So all 20 drivers that started the race finished uh, the French Grand Prix, which I believe is the 10th time in Form 1 history that all starters got to the end of the race. Extraordinary. The first race we've had since Austria 2019, where all 20 drivers got to the end of the race, LA. I'm sure you'd be pretty stunned by that statistic, but it is pretty much becoming a regular feat now with all these cars coming home in one piece. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know that statistic, so that's quite interesting to know that um, there aren't that many races where they've all finished. <laughs> you know, you don't kind of think about it really, do you, unless you're actually a team or a team owner. <laughs> Maybe you think about it a bit more if you are. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, the, I think that a lot of the teams, obviously including Williams um, and even Haas, you know, I, I do think that we believe that Haas would have a terrible season, but they're still finishing uh, the races okay they're not as far up as they were the last couple of seasons but they're still finishing the races so they're still doing something right um and and I actually yeah that's a great statistic I love that um and I think what I really love as well is that our um you know I'm, I'm quite involved in Formula 2 and um our graduate Yuki Sonoda who is just absolutely fantastic and we absolutely love him and you know wish him all the best um but to finish of course he's not finished as far up as Gasly um but he's all, but he is finishing ahead of other drivers even Ocon and uh, Giovinazzi you know Leclerc you know what what's happening there even Kimi um yes he's, they're probably expected to finish um ahead of the Williams and the Haas but you know he's he's doing really well in 13th place there and um you know it won't be long for maybe he's in the top 10. Yeah I have to agree with you I mean Sonoda although he's a rookie so we have to give him a chance actually because although he may not have been picking up the results like what Danny Kafir will be doing in an avatar you've got to remember that Kafir has had six years in an avatar or well, pretty much six years in um, either the Soros or the Alphatari as it was. So you have to give Yuki Tsunoda more of a chance, actually. And I think by the end of his first year, he'll have done 23 races. And then the second year, second second season syndrome, I think he's going to be more of a sophomore driver in Formula 1 compared to the pretty much fast as he joins in from like F3 and F2 like he did so. Jordan, who, I mean, you look at Ferrari. I mean, they had a shock of a race. I mean, they were OK in qualifying, but in the race, simply not good enough. Yeah, I, d I don't really know what happened to them. Obviously, they haven't got no race pace, um, which is a shame because they've had two good weekends and then they've just gone downhill 
And I think they didn't even expect themselves to be that far down. I think they felt they was going to be like back of the points, like ninth or tenth. But Leclerc all the way down in sixteenth is not the best thing, is it? Um, which is a shame. But hopefully they can build on it and work towards a better finish for the next two weekends in Austria. Yeah. So. LA, where do you feel it went wrong for Ferrari? Because Carlos Sainz was fifth in qualifying, Leclerc seventh. How could they fall so far down as they did? Leclerc 16th. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's an anomaly or whether Ferrari just got their strategy wrong on this occasion. Um, I think it's probably a mixture of both, really. Uh, you know, we know they've not had great race pace since, what, what was it, Austin uh, a couple of years ago, and there was all the, the fuel issue, you know, and something happened behind the scenes that we were not entirely privy to and they've never really recovered from that um which is a shame you know maybe I don't I mean I don't we don't really know what was happening there but we know that it got stopped and um they haven't but, but I think qualifying's a, a different monster isn't it you know qualifying's qualifying and you will still get your Mercedes and your Red Bulls qualifying at, at the front and finishing at the front whereas there are quite a lot of teams that do tend to qualify uh, really well but then they might not have that race pace for all the laps and vice versa you will have a team you know such as Lance Stroll uh, although he was very unlucky on a couple of occasions during qualifying this weekend um, but you know he didn't qualify very well at all you know he, he was last on the grid but then you know with, with Yuki just behind him coming out the pit lane and yet look where him and Vettel finished you know they were top 10 so it swings and roundabouts I think sometimes because quali is totally 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 different really isn't it um, um, but um, and also the track would have been very different as well on the Sunday because it had already rained that morning. It had been raining for the Formula Three. So the track would also be quite different. Um, that would be different for the race. You know, the track would be would be different, wouldn't it? But yeah. Um, and also strategy. You know, some teams um, took a bit of a punt and a bit of a gamble with their strategy, a little bit like some of them did in, in Baku as well. You know, you, you had Lance, you know, going on and on and on and on and extending as, as long as he could till he came in for his pit stop. And because he stayed out as long as what he did, he ended up in P10, which was fantastic. Um, but then, you know, then you, you do have your Ferraris and... Ferrari, it's okay to sit here, isn't it, being a critic? Because you know I'm I'm not in a team, and I'm no engineer, and I'm no tire expert. Um, but they should be doing better. Should most certainly be doing better. And I mean, contrast that to Aston Martin with um, Vettel qualifying 12th on the grid. Lance Stroll was 19th. But the reason why Stroll was 19th because he had an earlier time in Q1 um, chalked off the track limits, and the last run he was going to be doing. Um, he couldn't do because of the red flag of the of, uh, Mick Schumacher stopping out and circuit in the barriers. So that was why Lance Stroll ended up that far down. He was knocked out in Q1 or not able to get a representative time in Q1 and um, for the second race weekend running because he did crash out in Q1 in, um, in Baku. But nevertheless, he came home and got some, well, he got home a point, which is better than nothing, especially Vettel considering his run of three consecutive points finishes in Aston Martin. Prior to that run, he didn't score a point at all did Vettel so he's doing a fine job in the Aston Martin he's very much got himself up to speed can he continue that form into the next round at the Red Bull Ring this weekend as the second part of the triple header 
Let's have a look at the driver's standings following round seven of the 23-round FIA Formula One World Championship of 2021. Max Verstappen has extended his lead at the top to 12 points over Lewis Hamilton, 131 playing 119. Sergio Perez up to third, or is in third place still, on 84 points. Lando Norris in fourth on 76. Valtteri Bottas in fifth on 59. Then Charles Leclerc in sixth place for Ferrari on 52. Carlos Sainz in seventh on 42. Pierre Gasly, considering his fine form, he's finished in the points in the last six races now in the Alvaterio. Very, very fine form there from the Frenchman. 37 points he's got in eighth. Daniel Ricciardo is ninth with 34. Then Sebastian Vettel in tenth with 30. Fernando Alonso in 11th on 17 points. It's Esteban Ocon in 12th on 12th. Lance Stroll in 13th with 10. There's Yuki Tsunoda in 14th with 8. Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi have one point each. George Russell, Mick Schumacher, Nikita Maspin and Nicholas Latifi have still yet to get off the mark this season. In the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull have extended their gap at the top over Mercedes. The gap is now 37 points. Red Bull have 215 to Mercedes' 178. McLaren go back up to third in the team standings with that brilliant points hole with Norris and Ricardo. They are on 110 points to Ferrari's 94. So 16 points is the margin between those two respectable teams. Alfa in fifth on 45, with Aston Martin in sixth on 40. Alpine in seventh with 29. Alfa Romeo with two points in eighth. Williams and Haas have still yet to score a point so far this year. So you look at the championship now, obviously 12 points, even at this point of the season, Jordan, it still feels like nothing because whilst we've done seven races, there's still 16 more to go. Yep, we've got such a long way to go. Sometimes I look at it and I'm like, oh, like, there's a gap. And then it's like, oh, the gap doesn't matter. There's so many races and you never know what's going to happen at any of them. You could sit there all day and be like, oh, yeah, well... Max could win this one or what about someone like Pierre Gasly could win this one and everything could change from like a tyre blowout to engine problems just like the standings could change in a minute and it's it's good and I feel like we haven't had this in such a long time that everyone's like oh well who's going to come out on top who's going to finish third in constructors who's going to finish everywhere and it's just it's just so nice to see. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely brilliant. And I'm loving this cycle battle so far. I mean, you could say, you know, 2018 was a brilliant cycle battle, um, as was, I'm, I was almost going to say 2017, but it's not quite so much. I think maybe 2016, where, like, I know with the Mercedes duo who were doing so well, Hamilton and Rosberg it was, but we still had quite a fight in the points battle um, between the other teams. But you probably have to say 2012. I mean, what's what's your what would you say this is the best start to a season, um, LA since? Um, I'm it's oh, quite hard to think back to be honest. It'll blur <laughs> into one to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know if I kind of want it put it put it all the way back to some even Red Bull days. You know, where where they just had fantastic just race win after race win after race win or I don't know maybe even 2009 with with that brawn you know the big surprise that was Jensen Button and the brawn car that um that you know that was an extraordinary season that as as racing fans it, it was just amazing wasn't it that, that I think that'll always stand out for me um but yeah I mean I think this is incredibly close there has been some close seasons before 
Um, you know, some seasons, even way back to 2007, 2008, you know, one by one point, um, which, you know, I, I think if you're a fan of one of the drivers that's fighting it out, it can be a very painful experience. Um, but, in, but in general, it's just exciting because it's motor racing at the end of the day. And you would like a bit of a challenge, like Lewis obviously wants a challenge. He still wants to win the races, but he definitely wants a challenge. I, I think that, you know, no driver, or even if you look at other sports, nobody wants to look at themselves and think, oh, well, I just I just won, won outright, you know, because I had the best team and I had the best car and I had the best this, this and this. Uh, you know, it's a, a, a player or a driver wants to be challenged so that you see that they are the best of the best. And, um, you know, and, that, and I think that's what's in Lewis's head. That's how he wants to finish his legacy. He doesn't want to finish his legacy with, with them wiping out the rest of the board, you know, and both of them being one, two every race. He wants to go out as, a, as, an, as an outright champion and he beat the best drivers on that circuit. Um, and, and I think it's quite exciting. He wasn't looking forward to these new rookies coming up. I think he was a bit worried about it. Um, and rightfully, he should be because the uh, support series of Formula 4, 3 and 2 are producing some outstanding quality drivers these days. So I think that even Verstappen, you know, should, should be a little bit worried about the guys that are coming up and coming through. But it's great to be challenged and it's great for the teams to be challenged. And it's really good to see Red Bull coming back, making the comeback. You know, they've been a bit too quiet for a bit too long, but I would absolutely love Ferrari to be up there. But more than anybody, I want McLaren to be back up there. And they pretty much are. Look at Lando Norris. You know, he's just... I know we're all noticing probably because we're Brits, but he's just being very silent there, isn't he? He's just creeping those um, those, those uh, finishes in. And what has he finished in the top five over the last, I don't know if it's six out of seven races? He's you might, you're the statistician. Down. He's finished in the top five in six out of the seven races. The anomaly in that is an eighth place finish in Spain. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's doing really well. He's, he's staying very quiet back there in that McLaren, but they're just going to go like, bam, you know, they're, they're going to really come back. And that's, that's so exciting to watch and so exciting to see, um, to see the McLaren boys obviously heading back up to the top as well. And that's what I'm looking forward to. I mean, wouldn't it be great if that, you know, the, the champion didn't necessarily win with all these hundreds of points, but, you know, they might win by one or two. And like last season, look how close those other teams were, you know, fighting for um, the, the fourth, fifth, you know, the, it, it was the last race. It went down to the last race for who finished in those in those other points. And let's have that again. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, McLaren and Ferrari are starting to find their way back up there. McLaren most especially, because if you remember back in 2017 with the Honda engine, they were just, although on a few occasions they were on the threshold of Q3, the cars were not quite getting to the end of the races and they were just getting these ridiculous numbered grid penalties that they were getting. And the situation in McLaren right now, Jordan, is a lot more harmonious than four years ago. Yeah, it's it's so nice to see that. I started I started first watching F1 when Lewis Hamilton was at, at McLaren, so it's obviously quite some years ago. And it's it's nice to see them like fight their way through all the years, and then to finally make their way up to where they really should be. And 
it makes it even more exciting with all like the new regulations coming in next year who who's going to come out on top is it, will it be mclaren will they surprise everyone and like be the underdogs from like mercedes red bull ferrari and it's to have like lando norris there as well obviously he's been with the team for a few years now and obviously with his extension it proves that he wants to grow with the team and see what they can do together and you don't get many drivers who want to do that with a team um but it, it's nice to see them coming back to where they used to be mm -hmm. i'm sure that mclaren will continue going from strength to strength and who knows this time next year when the new regulations come in they could be a genuine contender for a race victory and i'm sure the mclaren will be craving for their first ever top step of the podium finish since brazil 2012 when jensen bottom won for them Let's go have a look at the latest news that's happened in the last seven days, girls. And it's the first one we're going to talk about is with Esteban Ocon, who has signed a new extension to remain at Alpine until the 24th, uh, 2024 Formula One season. So Alpine has retained Esteban Ocon until at least the 2024 Formula One season after agreeing a new three-year deal. Ocon's ties with the operation stretched, uh, stretched back to the early 2010s when he was a junior driver and he had Formula 1 outings with the squad in 2014 and 2016 as a test driver. Ocon made his Formula 1 race debut mid-2016 for Manor, followed by two years with Force India, though was left out of the 2019 grid when uh, prospective employer Renault recruited Dan Ricciardo. He consequently spent 2019 as Mercedes' reserve driver. But a year later, Renault signed Ocon on a two-year deal, replacing Nico Hülkenberg, and he claimed his first podium finish at the Sakir Grand Prix in 2020. Ocon has out-qualified has out the returning Fernando Alonso 4-2 so far this season, or four, I think it's a 4-3 now, actually, but still he's ahead of Alonso in terms of the qualifying head-to-head. -head. He's finished ahead in the four races where both reached the Czech flag, well, made that five, actually, or Alonso finished ahead of Ocon. Uh, though trails 13-12, I think that's now increased actually with Alonso's uh, points finish, 17, I think 17-12 actually now between um, Alonso and Ocon. This is at the time before the French Grand Prix was this, um, was this story. Alpine is now committed to Ocon for a further three years in the process completing its 2022 driver lineup with Alonso, with Alonso already signed for next year. It'll be the first time since 2014-15 that the Enstone-based outfit has retained the same driver lineup for consecutive seasons. I'm delighted to continue with the team beyond this year, and it's a fantastic feeling to secure my future with Alpine, said Ocon. We've been progressing well together since I joined the team, and I aim to continue that journey going forward. There are great challenges ahead of us, especially with the new regulations in 2022. I'm sure we can hit our targets by working hard together and continuing the story. I often think back to the Sakia Grand Prix last year with the podium, and it motivates me to, to create more special memories like that. I'm really looking forward to the next chapter, but for now, we're very much focused on the season and taking each race as it comes. So Ocon will be sticking around in Formula One for the next few years, presumably Jordan, and are you happy he's still going to be around? Yeah, I think there's a lot more to come from him with Alpine. Um, and I didn't really see him going to another team anyway, so it's the right decision from both of them. So, and what a special way to announce it as well at his home Grand Prix and the team's Grand Prix as well. I think that's like a touching thing for the fans because obviously it's it's just nice. There's nothing better than a French driver driving for a French team and it gets announced at the French Grand Prix. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good call and there's more to come from him. 
I mean, Esteban Ocon, um, LA, if you remember, in 2015, he won the GP3 series. He competed in DTM in 2016, the early part of 2016, before he got the drive with the Manor squad, replacing Rio Harianto from the Belgian Grand Prix up until the end of the campaign. Then he got the Force India drive. Then he spent a year on the sidelines. He's been with Renault stroke Alpine. And you have to say it's been quite a rise from him. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, 2014, he won the um, F3 European as well. He, he won that uh, championship, um, you know, prior to the GP3. So obviously this this guy's got a lot of promise. And um, with um, Force India, you know, he finished um, in eighth, uh, I think it was that season. Um, but then since then, he's had uh, P12 finishes. Uh, since, you know, 20, um, what was it, 2018, 2020. And he's currently 12th. Uh, hope, hopefully he's not got uh, this uh, this number 12 number as Nico Hulkenberg seemed to always have that number seven tagged to him didn't he um so but let's let's hope he shoves up a little bit further than that I was actually quite disappointed um that he was put to the side for 2019 um you know I think we've all got our own point of view over what happened during that Brazil Grand Prix uh with Max Verstappen when he was trying to when um Ocon was trying to unlap himself and uh, you know I've certainly got my opinion on it um for what it's worth but um it, i i was really sad to see him be put out and sort of put to pasture a little bit for a year because um i could see the absolute potential in this in this young boy absolute fantastic racing driver and for the most part very clean <laughs> though we did have his scraps a little bit didn't he with perez as well if you remember some of those that was always quite good fun um but yeah it's good to see him uh with renault you know, shame we lost Nico Hulkenberg, but uh, great to see uh, Ocon with Renault and to see um, this season. He's not had he's not had great results, though, has he? You know, we've we had it was it the P13 in Bahrain um, and we've had a couple of nines or three nines, P9 finishes, a retirement and um, a P7 and obviously 14th. Um, below his teammate Alonso who finished in eighth so you know you need to beat your teammate to start off with and he knows that and uh, he's he, you know established himself at the team I think what what he was coming across as what he said at the weekend was that you know he's now with Renault for a couple more a few more years there's going to be some continuity some stability um, build his confidence build the team up and build it around him which as we just spoke about Lewis Hamilton, that's what he did, you know, at Mercedes, build the team around you. And um, then, then you can start going for points. But I, I think, I feel Renault should be doing better as well. I really do. You know, if, if, you, if you get rid of a driver of Nico Hulkenberg's caliber and standard um, to bring in somebody else, then in my, from my point of view, you best be good and you best get the results. Um, but if you get rid of a, an incredible driver um, and, and you're not getting the results, then obviously you need to look at the team. You shouldn't have been looking at the driver and blaming the driver. You should be looking at the team. So, but again, just my point of view. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I get what you're saying. You know, Alpine, you know, previously known as Renault, I mean, they've had quite some form of rise. If you remember in 2016, they were ninth in the constructors with only eight points. 2017, when Nika Hulkenberg joined, they went up the ladder a little bit more. They were sixth. And then 2018, they were fourth, which is perhaps why Daniel Ricciardo wanted to join because he needed a new challenge. He felt it wasn't achieving enough at Red Bull. Then Esteban Ocon arrived that pushed um, Nika Hulkenberg out of the door. And I perfectly agree with you. Nika Hulkenberg is an incredible driver, but Formula One 
as sad as it is, is about money. You know, drivers are needing to have backing of which teams, you know, they need millions. It's millions of dollars that these teams are after. And with this budget cap that's brought in, that maybe not make up for it, but it's, in my opinion, a step in the right direction in the long term. You know, we're still wanting drivers like Nico Hulkenberg back on the grid. And at the moment, Hulkenberg is the reserve driver at the Aston Martin team. So if, let's say, Sebastian Vettel or Lance Stroll can't make, a race, can't make a race or can't compete in the race for whatever reason, that's where Hulkenberg comes in, which is exemplified by last year when he stood in for Sergio Perez at Silverstone for two races and Lance Stroll at the Nürburgring. And Hulkenberg put in some brilliant performances despite coming in last minute. So there's no doubt that Hulkenberg's got the talent. But for Ocon... If you need someone there for the long term and is going to be a talent for the future and potentially a future world champion or at the realms of the top of the championship, then given the age he is, I mean, he's 24, I mean, he's younger than me and he's already been competing on the grid for a long time. So you need to have, the, you need to have a level of continuity within Alpine, which is what they've been doing for the last few years and it's clearly working. So I do back their decision to keep Ocon on board. In terms of how long Alonso will be around remains to be seen. So... You know, I don't know whether Gonyu Zhou will get an opportunity for them, whether it'll be Nico Hulkenberg. I don't know. We'll have to find out maybe by the end of this year or the next year um, in terms of what they do go forward. Going on to my ne- going on to the next story is to do with Pirelli and their conclusion with the tyre investigation or the tyre failures um, in Azerbaijan. So both drivers sustained race ending, la- well, for Lance Stroll and Max Verstappen, both drivers sustained race ending left rear failures along the start-finish straight during the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which pitched them into the wall at high speed. Speaking after that race, Pirelli's head of F1, Mario Isola, stated that he he could exclude that failures were due to tyre wear and suggested debris could be to blame. In a statement released on the Tuesday evening of last week, the Italian company established that following an analysis into the incidents, it found there was no production or quality defects on any of the tyres, nor was there any sign of fatigue or delamination. It concluded that the, ty- that the failures were due to a circumferential break on the inner sidewall, which can be related to the running conditions of the tyre, in spite of the prescribed starting parameters, the minimum pressure and maximum blanket temperature having been followed. Pirelli has submitted its report to the teams and Formula's governing body, the FIA. Red Bull also released a statement on the Tuesday, asserting it was comp- compliant with Pirelli's guidelines th- throughout the weekend. We've worked closely with Pirelli and the FIA during their investigation into Max's tyre failure on that 47 of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and can confirm that no car fault was found, it read. We adhere to Pirelli's tyre parameters at all times and will continue to follow their guidance and we are grateful that following the weekend's high-speed impacts, no drivers were injured. In an attempt to stop such an incident from happening again, Pirelli and the FIA have agreed a new set of protocols which includes an upgraded technical directive that has already been distributed. The directive will monitor the operating conditions during a race weekend. In addition, both Pirelli and the FIA will consider any other inappropriate actions going forward. So there's the conclusion in regards to the tyre failure, though I think it's more sort of, they're saying it's more debris related. Um, LA, we're interested in your thoughts on this um, tyre investigation with what happened in Baku. How did you see it? Um, well, a few laps before, I'm sure we all heard the radio transmission from Red Bull to Max Verstappen warning him about his left rear tyre. Now, coincidence or not, his left rear tyre explodes. We have to separate this from Lance Stroll because it's not the same car, it's not the same 
you know wear it's not the same tire it's you know it's it's completely different so let's separate those two to begin with and for me the warning sign came with that radio transmission um, that said you need to watch your left rear and of course it, it, it went um, so there's something that suggests that they already knew otherwise why just randomly pick the left rear and just do a radio transmission about it they already knew that something was going on with that tire um, and of course, we're not privy to that information either. Um, and then there's, there's subsequently, there's been information coming out about those low tire pressures, even though they were within the parameter. So that is definitely something for Pirelli to look at and the FIA together, which is what they're doing to see at certain racetracks, should the tire pressure, you know, I'm sure that it is at all different racetracks. I, I don't I don't have this great vast knowledge about um, Pirelli um, and their tires, but I, you know, they obviously have to look at that as well and not just look at the tire pressures, but look at them. Um, for lap, for distances, so how long that tire is is going for, and how many laps it's going for, and even look at, like they say, maybe you know, have somebody monitoring it a little bit more closely, because there's also a difference between somebody like Mick Schumacher at the back, you know, rolling around his laps. Uh, doing 30 odd laps on one tire and then there's like somebody at the very front Max Verstappen that's fighting battling going as fast as he can trying to get fastest laps trying to get away from Lewis Hamilton you know then there's a difference there too and that's why I wanted to separate that from Lance Stroll's incident as well because he was in a very different situation too even that it's obvious that the left rears were affected by that race and we, we've looked at this um, a, a little bit more in, in another team that I'm in and on another podcast that I'm part of um, to, to sort of question why it was that left rear especially at Baku you know at this particular race circuit um, but it was it, you know it was my sort of idea and suggestion that the way they were hitting some of them curves which was you know the, the by the time that left rear gets to those curves after the rest of the, the car and the other three wheels have rocketed about that left that left tire is being impacted as well so yeah I mean it was incredibly dangerous it could have been horrific for both drivers and luckily these days it wasn't but it can't happen again or it can't happen too often um but yeah I'm interested in that it, oh and what happened um when they red flagged at Baku and they were all sat in the pit lane and they were back in the cars and there was a radio transmission to Mick Schumacher from his team and they said uh, that they were going to I think they did they say they were going to increase their pressure they were changing the pressure I said they'd had a, a directive to change the pressure but then they came back on the radio and said um, that they uh, weren't going to change it at all they, they were I think they might have let a little bit out so that, that's on YouTube that's available you know to listen to Mick Schumacher's radio transmissions on there so it's no big secret or anything you know you can all you can all go and look um, so that was a little bit interesting as well that the tyre pressures were being um, looked at even when the red flag was on and all the cars were sitting in the pit lane ready to go back onto the track um, but I think what's what's good about these situations is you know Formula One hasn't got safe 
for no apparent reason, just because sitting somebody's sitting in an office with a pen and a piece of paper, you know, coming up with random ideas. The safety of Formula One is as safe as it is today because of incidents and accidents. And luckily, Max and Lance were, you know, were okay from these incidents. And I'm sure that now this will make things a little bit safer. I mean, Formula One has never been safe over the years, but it has got safer than it did so back in the days when people felt that seatbelts were a safety hazard more than a, a safety feature for a driver. Um, Jordan, I don't know whether we discussed it before about the um, the tyre failures in um, in Baku, but what's your reaction to Pirelli's um, conclusion to this? I, I don't really know. Like, at first I was like, oh, it was like as soon as the race, race was done and like, they looked at the tyres and was like, oh, it's debris, it's debris, it's definitely debris, and all stuff like this, like, there's nothing wrong with the hard tyre. Um, and then they, it's now been put to the teams, like, oh, it's the tyre pressure and everything like this. And I think it's a bit, like, tit for tat, kind of. Like, Pirelli have their moments with the tyres, like, choosing the wrong ones for the races and sometimes it, it, it is a mistake but it's it it feels a bit weird to have two of the hard tires the same tires as well to go near enough in the same spot it's, it's down the straight so it's it's a tough one but at the end of the day we we, we don't know all the evidence we're just reading articles and we're not the ones investigating the tyres, so it's a bit bit hard to actually say, like, oh, well, I think it's this, I think it's that. At first, I thought, like, the reason Max's went over was because um, of, like, a bit of debris from Lance's crash. But then I was like, well, how did Lance's go? Because there was no crash, there was no nothing. It, it's just weird. So I can see why Pirelli are saying it could be, like, tyre pressure and stuff like that, but then it's didn't Red Bull then transmission to the FIA after Max's crash saying that we had no warning of it, I think. Um, so it's a bit, it's a bit of a tough one and it's hard to say what, like, what you think and that. You know, I think it's strange, Jordan, though, when they said they had no warning of it, yet we all heard on the radio that they warned Max about it a few laps before. It, it, it's, it's strange, I do think. It's strange, but we, we're not sitting there on the pit wall, are we? We don't know what's come up on their screens saying, oh, like, there's a problem with the rear left, oh, let's, let's tell Max, and then they say to the FIA, oh, we had no warning. What one is it? <laughs> yeah, and my argument as well, if, if, if I was to add something into that, if it's happened to Stroll and Verstappen, why did it not happen to anyone else? Surely they must have done something to help keep the tyres you know, in drivable condition in comparison to Stroll and Verstappen. Um, so you, you could look at it in, in two different ways. I didn't quite spot that Red Bull had won Max of the tyres before the tyre blowout. I didn't quite spot that LA, so thank you for adding in on that. But that's something of which we'll find out maybe in the coming races. And not to mention, maybe there's other broadcasts or maybe other radio messages that weren't quite broadcast to us, but were sent to other drivers about tyre um, degradation or tyre wear or whatever that's something we have to um, take into account but more on that um, 
tire dilemma run further down the line if we do get something else maybe like you know in austria or something like that but it shouldn't happen but you know these things crop up as they do time for time now go on to a more recent story that's come out today guys in regards to the yas marina circuit in abu dhabi they set for layout changes for its 2021 finale. So the Yasmarina circuit venue for Formula One's season-ending Abu Dhabi Grand Prix is set to undergo revisions to its layout ahead of this December's event. The Yasmarina circuit has tended to be a processional race with few overtaking opportunities, prompting drivers to call for changes following last year's lackluster season finale. Taking that feedback on board, acting CEO of Abu Dhabi Motorsports Management, Saif El Noemi, explained that approval has been given has been given to change the circuit to create more opportunities for overtaking and wheel-to-wheel -wheel action. We've been listening to our spectators, the fans, the drivers, F1 and the FIA, and we've been working on making some exciting changes this year to the layout of the track, said Al Noemi at the launch of this year's Grand Prix. We will be undergoing some modifications to the track over the summer in time for this year's edition of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. We're very much looking forward to showing more information in the coming months on the changes. We want to create more opportunities and to overall create a faster flowing race given the current rules of the vehicles. We're looking forward to seeing some overtaking and action and hopefully the championship will come down to the wire and be determined here in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. The circuit also has plans to welcome back fans for the race after holding their 2020 events behind closed doors. Every year we look forward to delivering a weekend of sporting and entertainment like no other in the region, and 2021 is no different, a statement from the circuit said. However, this extraordinary year there will be a few changes to our regular formats. 2021 will see us entertaining fans in a safe and managed environment, and we'll be sharing more details once we launch our ticket sales over the coming weeks. So that sounds like some good news, guys. Jordan, we begin with you, because prior to the show I showed you uh, what WTF1 came out with, with their image of the possible layout of the Abu Dhabi track. Your thoughts on it? Um, I actually think it looks quite good. I'm, I'm quite excited for it. Um, it's about time they did something to the track. Um, I did see a comment on Twitter actually saying they should just change the whole of the track. Obviously, it was a joke, but it was... It's, it's nice to see that they're listening to what people want and they recognise the problem itself, that there's not much overtaking and it's, it's going to be an exciting one and especially to have fans there as well this year, it, it makes it even that bit more like we're having some changes to the track, we get the fans back, it's, it's a good way to end the season I think. Um, LA, in case you wanted to know about the possible layout, this is what I found from WTF1. If it, I don't know if you can see it very carefully there. Can you see the white marks? I don't know if all the viewers can see it as well, but that's what is possible to be. So in case any of you um, couldn't quite see that, so it's changes to the first chicane where the end of sector one would be. That's being replaced by a simple hairpin, which would get rid of the hairpin that's currently there with less camber, which means more cornering speed, and therefore the drivers will get on the power sooner um, off the exit. And for where the slingshot chicane, as I call it, turns to 11, 12 and 13, that is going to be replaced by a smooth hairpin as well, which takes them back towards where the hotel bridge is. And I think with that, Jordan, as I touched on with you prior to the show, is that the lap distance will be less with that possible new layout, which means more racing laps for the drivers. LA, your thoughts on the um, possible changes? Um, I, I'm a little bit disappointed by that image, actually. I was thinking, oh, DRS sections opening up, 
fast straight, you know, a bit like the Baku thing, because <laughs> we've just done an amazing Baku Grand Prix, really, haven't we? Even though it's just been the French one. Um, oh, yeah, I'm like, oh, really? Mm, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I want fast sections, please. Um, yeah, change it again, review it. No, it's it, next year's. Uh, well, are they? Uh, did you say they're changing it for the end of this season? For this this year's race in December, yeah. Okay, well, I think the jury just has to be out, doesn't it, to see if it works. But um, I totally agree in, in part of the statement of what they've said. You know, we obviously still have to keep Formula One as safe as we can and Formula Two and Three. You know, don't forget that, that those races are also part of the support series for Formula One. All, all those uh, drivers need to be kept safe um, through, you know, car safety and, and that kind of uh, thing. But um, yes, there's no reason why track should not be adapted then to then encourage overtaking. Um, it'd be fantastic to see more, more cars going and you know trying to either go around the outside, you know, a little bit like George Russell did at Sakir last year over Bottas, or even that up up the inside, you know, as long as they're not sort of cutting cars off and taking people off, because that wouldn't be fun if it's your driver that you're supporting. But be loads of fun if it's not a driver that you support won't it um yeah it, it looks okay let's let, let the jury stay out but they've got a lot of competition because you know we've got this new saudi race coming up and that's um i think that there's a, there's a bit of a thing with these street circuits you know at the moment and we're all loving them we're all enjoying them and even albert park is kind of considered a street circuit with it being in the park and they've made some changes i don't know if uh, you've all noticed there on on their um twitter account their social media that they've been making some changes as well uh, of their layout and um obviously we're not quite sure if we are going to visit australia this season but by the time we're back there it you know it will be ready be ready for those um those drivers and those cars yeah we need more overtaking you know and i love i love these drs zones i think we need more even the french one wouldn't that have been great if there'd have been second drs zone to see lewis and max just seeing if they can how many times they can get past each other on a lap wouldn't that have been a great close to the grand prix whoever won it you know let, let's carry on with that Mm -hmm. There's two DRS zones already on the Paul Ricard circuit. There's one on the start-finish straight as well as the one on the first part of the Mistral straights. The reason why they don't put a DRS zone on the straight after the chicane is because the turn 10 right-hander before Lebose is not a braking zone, so they can't stick it there. So, you know, it's a shame, but I can't complain more. I mean, we don't want overtaking to be too predictable because, you know, with the DRS it's designed to help cars get closer, not necessarily to help a driver overtake, if that makes sense, so that they can actually get past them. I think when we get into the new regulations for next year, cars are able to follow each other in clean air more or closer to each other without being stuck in the dirty air for too yeah. long. There's always going to be turbulence, isn't there, like there is on an aircraft, you know, the minute you get behind a, a, another car, you're going to have the wake of that car. So, yeah, you know, be it, I, I kind of think it was a little bit strange. Most of the time for the last, you know, gosh knows how many races, um, they've talked about the slipstream and, you know, cars getting into that slipstream and, you know, being able to get past. And then suddenly this weekend, that slipstream suddenly just turned into the turbulent air phrase again. Um, and, and it just felt a bit strange for it to be being referred to as that, because surely there's always a wake that comes off the back of those cars. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'll hope to see what um, this 
supposedly new uh, configuration of the Yasmina circuit will play out. And I think it'll be a fantastic finale. I mean, the, at the moment, so far this year, we've seen changes at Barcelona with um, the turn 10 um, left-hander being changed. I don't know whether they'll get rid of that final chicane. I hope they do, because I think it'll help overtake him better. And with El Melbourne's um, configuration change as well, I mean, we've seen a lot more configuration changes in one year than we, well as many changes since I think 1994 when they brought those chicanes in at like uh, Spain um, Canada as well Spa is another one Silverstone you know we've seen so many changes to many racetracks in the same season since 1994 so that's something um, bearing in mind so we hope to see Formula 1 going to Abu Dhabi because it would make a great finale it's just the configuration that doesn't need changing but I don't mind changes to it because it has been hosting races for 12 years now. So why not make the changes of which fans will be after necessarily. So this weekend's Austrian Grand Prix is set to see Robert Kubica making an FP1 appearance. So Formula 1 is holding back to back. So Formula 1 is holding back to back events at the Rebel Ring across the weekends of June 27th and July the 4th with the first round given the steering Grand Prix title. It's said to be Kibitz's seventh practice, uh, practice run for Alfa Romeo, having joined as its test and reserve driver ahead of the 2020 campaign. With his previous outing coming at last month's uh, Spanish Grand Prix, Kibitza will replace Kimi Raikkonen for the one-hour session on Friday. The team has made some big steps forward, especially lately, and you can sense the confidence in the whole squad, said Kibitza. I know how important it is to keep the momentum going, and I am ready to play my part to make sure the two weekends in Austria are as successful as they can be. Kibitza already has experience of the Rebel Ring in 2021, having won last month's European Le Mans series race at the venue. So Kibitza, we get to see him in a race car this weekend at LA, and I'm personally a big fan of him. I know his time at Williams didn't quite work it out as it did, you know, with the situation with the car itself. But I think, you know, all of a sudden, should Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi not be able to race, Kibitza should be given a chance with a team of which technically he won his only Grand Prix at. Yeah, um, I, I've, I have mixed feelings about Robert, you know, because obviously when he first came into Formula One, you know, what an explosion onto the scene, what a breath of fresh air this, this young man was and what promise that, that, he, that he had. And of course, the, the accident that he had was incredibly unfortunate for him. And I do think that, you know, it's... It, Badly affected his career, of course it has. Um, and then when he came back for Williams, I was quite disappointed, you know, in in his even in his form against George Russell. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if it's unpopular, but an unpopular opinion. But I kind of feel like the next generation needs to be coming up. If Kimmy's going to be leaving, which we're not 100 sure, you know, <laughs> knowing Kimmy, it'll be a Giovinazzi that goes, and Kimmy's still motoring around, you know, with his grey hair and his piping slippers on. But um, you know, if Kimmy does decide to uh, to hang up his steering wheel, his gloves and steering wheel, then I I kind of am I'm hoping for someone like Callum Eilat to slip into that into that seat somebody new, somebody fresh, um, and somebody that uh, is very fast and a very good driver and bias as it sounds, also British. Mm -hmm. Jordan, Robbie Kubica has, you know, over a hundred Grand Prix under his belt. And, you know, this weekend, I'm not sure what he's gonna get out of, but hopefully some relevant data for which the Alfa Romeo team could have. I mean, given his experience in European Le Mans, would you say that's part of his reward? Uh, I, I wouldn't say so, no. Like, 
I get that it, he's there to help Alfa Romeo and like he's got experience in F1 so he knows what he's doing but I agree with LA I do think that the younger generation should come up I think obviously Callum Millett does his bit for Alfa Romeo too and it, it's, it's kind of time to like move to the side and do your own thing and it's it's not it's nice to see but it's just one of those things where they've got to realize for themselves that it's time to move along and yeah well it most certainly would be a good um, backup i mean if let's say Raikkonen or Giovinazzi couldn't race um during the race during the race weekend of which i don't know whether they you know i don't want to say they've been tested positive COVID-19 because i don't want to jinx it but you know if they couldn't race for whatever reason then they wouldn't necessarily choose Ilot because Kubica has the experience. And if they need someone in last minute with all his experience, Kubica is your man. So that's my, that's my take on it. So whilst Kubica will be doing an FP1 session for Alfa Romeo, Callum Ollott will be doing the same during the Austrian Grand Prix weekend. So Callum Ollott will take part in his second FP1 session of the 2021 season with Alfa Romeo at the Austrian Grand Prix in two weeks. The 2020 Formula 2 runner-up was in the car during the first practice session in Portugal earlier this year. Eilert's FP1 outings come as part of his duties as the team's reserve driver, a role he shares with Robert Kubica. In Austria, he'll stand in for Antonio Giovinazzi as he did during the session in Portimao. The second FP1 of my season will be a good chance to help the team and build on the good job we did together in Portugal earlier this year, Eilert said. Knowing the car and the team already will definitely help me get to work straight away, and having the data from the first week of running means we'll have a solid base to start with. I am, looking, uh, I am looking forward to making the most of this opportunity as the team keeps getting stronger. Alfa Romeo team principal Frederick Vasseur added, the way Callum has integrated with the team in a relatively short amount of time is remarkable, and to see him in the car with a solid setup base from the previous week will be interesting. He's done a good job in Portugal and the data he provided with us was really useful, so we are looking forward to another productive session together. Alfa Romeo has also confirmed that Robbie Kubica will receive an FP1 outing at the Steering Grand Prix one week prior to Eilat's run. So Jordan, Carlo Milo getting another run. He's already done a practice session in Portugal for the team earlier this year and he's got an opportunity to do so in the Alfa Romeo squad on a circuit where he had won in Formula 2 last year. Yeah, I think it's a good thing for Callum to get back into an F1 car again. Um, I like Callum. I think he should be in F1, but unfortunately things don't work out the way they should. And I, I want to see him there next next year in maybe an Alfa Romeo, for, you know, Kimi might leave. But I think it's gaining on his experience whilst also working with the team, trying to build something for the team. And... Obviously, it helps with Robert in the car a week before so they can build on that. Um, but I just think it's, it's just good for Callum. He knows, he knows the track. He knows the team. Because I've, I've seen on social media he's been with the team and like the weekend just gone, he was there at the race. So it's um, nice to see him genuinely well with the team whilst he's actually not like, in the car. But yeah, I'm looking forward to him being back on track. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that Callum Ollott will put a smile on people's faces in LA once he goes out 
onto the circuit um, during the Austrian Grand Prix weekend. We don't know for certain if it's going to be dry or wet, but when I looked at the, um, the weather forecast for Styria, because that's where the Austrian Grand Prix is based at the town or city of Spielberg, there were possible uh, thunderstorms, but I'm sure hopefully that won't deteriorate Eilat's chance um, of a practice session like it did so at the Nürburgring last year. Yeah, let's hope not. Um, you know, I mean, don't don't forget Formula Two is still a very different um, kettle of fish to Formula One, even though he's incredible in the rain. Um, and even though he if he gets as wet as what he did last season in the car, then, you know, he might not need a shower afterwards. But um, I, I, I think the thing with with the rookies is it can either go one way or the other. It can either go the Nikita Mazepin way where and Nick Schumacher, where they're not quite getting to grips with, you know, the car and, and whatever's happening there at house, you know, with, within the, the car situation, not them as drivers. They've obviously proved themselves incredibly as drivers because they're both champions of previous uh, series. But um, the, the thing with Callum is he's not really been tested in a Formula One car as a Formula One driver, whereas the comparison to Robert, you know, obviously he's got a, a vast, a wealth of experience in a Formula One car and with a Formula One team. So with Callum, which way will he go? Will he go the Nikita Mazepan, Mick Schumacher way or will he go the Yuki Sonoda way? And will he just be absolutely on fire once he's in a Formula One car? I've got a feeling that he would absolutely be on fire, not necessarily from a bias point of view, but because uh, he's what, what people would refer to as a very fast, a very quick driver. And, and being a very quick driver means he's actually very, very good on the brakes, which is something that you need to, to do when you adapt into a Formula One car, you know, because it's actually the braking that the um, rookies need to get used to rather than the actual speed of a car or the G of a car. It's more about the braking and the braking zone so I would love to see, you know, Callum get as much experience as what he can. Um, and, and I think whatever he can put his name up for, I'd even be, be contacting Mario Isola, you know, saying, well, can I come and just test some tyres for you, you know, around the circuit there in Italy? Give me something. But what we do have to remember about Callum is that he's also a, a Ferrari Driver Academy uh, graduate as well, which is an, an exceptional, uh, it's produced so many amazing Formula One drivers and Formula Two and Formula Three at the moment as well. And Callum is a graduate of that. And he has all of that experience underneath him and that support. And, um, you know, and if it doesn't happen for him in F1, uh, sorry, with um, uh, apologies, with, um, you know, the, the team Alfa Romeo, um, he's still got the link with Ferrari, don't forget. So there may be hope for him yet, but uh, I'm Callum all the way, you know, and, and I know we can go into the politics of Formula One and why certain drivers are picked over other drivers. Um, and I don't want to go into uh, uncharted territory here, but I also do feel that there is a place for um, support teams that are supported by finance and whether that's through family or whether it's through a sponsor or your neighbor or, you know, some, some guy that, that loves Formula, Formula One. It doesn't matter where the money comes from 
from. If the money's coming from somewhere, then that's what Formula One needs as, as, a, as a support as well. And all the other series need financial support too. And those drivers need financial support. So unfortunately, Callum wasn't in exactly the same position as you know one of the other drivers that was chosen for a Formula One seat this season. But from, from my point of view, I'm disappointed for him personally. And I do think Formula One will welcome him with open arms one day because he's a fantastic young man and a fantastic driver. But there is, don't forget, there is also room for financially supported drivers too. Mm -hmm. Which some teams actually, like um, Mercedes, I think they're supporting a 13-year-old um, Carter from China. I can't remember his name. I think it's like Young Fu Chi, I think it's called. But I think, you know, finding drivers like Carl Mylock, you know, comes at the expense of, you know, how much are you willing to sponsor him? Whereas if you sponsor like a 13 or a 14 year old Carter, it's cheaper, which is why I think McLaren have chosen a 13 year old from America. And then Mercedes have gone for a 13 year old from China because of how talented he is in karting. So that's something worth considering. And I think one thing I will want to add actually is that Formula One needs to have new, uh, more teams involved. And whilst the, the field is, in my opinion, I don't know if you agree with me, LA, but the field to me, when you look at their one lap pace, they are closer than what they would have been like 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, but don't forget, they also had different engine sizes uh, that, that long ago. You know, when you look at um, the Senna days, there, there wasn't just the V12s around. There were teams with V10s and V8s as well, um, you know, in the same race, you know, in, in the same sessions. So the, the engines have changed somewhat. And obviously there, there's a standard now for certain specs of engines or certain specs of the cars to be the same, um, even though there, there are many other differences um, as well on the cars um, yeah so definitely um, they are closer together I really like it when people put graphics up you know on social media of how close you know the the pole sitter might be to, to you know the, the guy that's p20 how actually very very close they are because when they sit on the grid they're a mile apart, you know, or they may as well be not exactly a mile. Don't quote me on that. They may as well be a mile apart. But whereas, you know, if you look at the actual uh, tens of seconds or, you know, they are within that blink of an eye, which is incredible when you're even talking about, you know, everyone's talking about how, how bad Haas might be being this season or, you know, how, how bad Williams have been for a few years. But how close are they still on that grid? It's just, it's incredible. The precision of these drivers on these circuits, you know, no matter what your opinion is of a driver, mm -hmm. you know, even of Nikita Mazapan in the first race in Bahrain going off because, you know, the back of the car was was difficult. And, and Mick instantly learned from that if you were paying attention because Mick's car was just as bad, but he just managed it once Nikita had left the track. But then, you know, Roman Grosjean took a long time to settle in and settle down into, into his role in F1. And, you know, I don't think there are any bad drivers out there whatsoever. These drivers are all incredible. Uh, drivers they're, they're so precise they're so technical minded and um, you know they all deserve their place on the grid mm -hmm. and can I add a reference actually to my point about the gaps the 1995 Spanish Grand Prix okay Michael Schumacher was on pole with a 1 minute 21.4 the second place man was six tenths off the pace okay the 20th place driver that is Carl Wenglinger do you know how far off the pace he was five and a half seconds and the 26th place driver, the last driver on the grid, Pedro Diniz, 
eight seconds off the pace, which is more than one, the 107% uh, time. Can you believe that? Which, which confirms to me how close- I believe it about Diniz. <laughs> to be fair, Diniz wasn't as bad of a driver to begin with, because he was in a 40, which was completely and utterly slow. And they got the chance with like Ligier, Arrows, and then Salvador to finish off his career with. But that just tells you something about how close the field is nowadays, Jordan, would you agree? Yeah, it's it's so mad if you like like what we were just saying, if you look back, like it's the gaps are just so small and it's it would be nice to see other teams and then you get the chance of drivers coming up and actually getting the seat, not just sitting on the sidelines waiting for their turn and it's just one of those things it's but I want to just see more teams like it, it'd be so nice and it'd make the races more interesting as well I think um and yeah I, I think it's really, um, I mean, we don't know the, I personally don't know the intricacies of it all, but it, the, there's a lot of um, jumps and hoops for teams to go through to even become a Formula One team. And, um, you know, I was, I was, I think that it was Nikita Mazapan's um, sponsors, whether that be his dad or whoever was involved in the finances, were at one point trying to attempt, you know, with high tech to maybe possibly come up into Formula One, um, but it couldn't happen quick enough. Uh, I don't know how long it takes, I don't know what they have to do, but it just couldn't happen quick enough uh, to get Nikita up into F1. And so that's why they then went into, ha you know, looked at looked at another team and then they looked at Haas. Um, and that's what I'm led to believe. I, I you know, I could be, uh, I don't think I'm completely far off the mark anyway, but, you know, I know that it does take a long time. I would love that, as you just uh, said, Jordan, and, and as you've indicated, Tom, wouldn't it be marvellous to have 20 teams back on that on the the uh, track you know because then that does give other new drive it gives drivers every driver an opportunity so the rookies that are coming up gives them an opportunity and it also still gives you know people like Alonso that, that want to have another go and want to try again or people like Kimmy that want to stay as long as they can stay it gives everybody an opportunity and what what I don't like is sort of probably because I'm older <laughs> is the the ageism you know we're, we're all going for this um equality at the moment and you've also got, got to consider that age is part of that that equality and that diversity group as well and when people bring up Kimmy's age it I, I sort of get a bit a bit irked by that and a little bit like you know a little bit tense about it because it doesn't matter how how old the guy is the guy's still performing and he's performing well you know and whether you, again referring back to football if you're playing your game and you're either getting goals in or stopping a goal there should be no question of, of age, you know. Um, so yeah, get some. How do we get more teams? I think the only maybe way to get more teams on the track, if it takes so long or if so many hoops to jump through, is to have a look at the length of time and to like, have a look at the hoops that they have to jump through, and maybe get that looked at, you know. And that's obviously FIA territory, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And another reference to the twenty teams you mentioned there. Well, there was once upon a time in nineteen eighty nine LA where there were 20 teams and 39 drivers on a race weekend. So going to the Australian Grand Prix, which was the last race of the season at Adelaide, they used to have like a, a pre-qualifying session for the teams, like the teams outside the top 13, if you like to say. 
Well, in that pre-qualifying session, Nicola Larini was the fastest of the 13 drivers of that. The slowest, that was Enrico Battaglia in the Coloni, 5.7 seconds off Larini's pace alone. So that just tells you something about the gaps between teams and drivers um, in that field. That was, it was sensational. It was a good year in 1989, actually, because I've mentioned this to a few people already, that that was the year we had a record-breaking number of drivers and teams score a point at least. 20, is it 26? No, 29 drivers and 16 teams scored at least one point that year. And that's despite the fact that it was top six that scored at every race. Incredible. It is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, the, the danger is is having um, teams or cars that are too slow because these, you know, we know for safety reasons that you can't have cars going too slow. Um, and not even these days, any days, um, you know, you've got to have them to be able to go a certain speed, which I guess is the 107% rule. But um, I don't think I'd want to see it go back to that, where there are lots and lots of teams or cars just not making it in a session. Um, I, I don't I don't think I'd quite like that again, but I'd certainly like there to be, you know, maybe, you know, at least, you know, 22 drivers on that circuit or 24 drivers, maybe and a couple more teams would would suit me down to the ground. Round. Mm -hmm. And of course, I, I perfectly agree. I mean, there needs to be more teams. I mean, there was rumours of this Team Asia Panthera or whatever it was. And then of course, Campos, because I think Campos, had they come into Formula One, maybe either this year or next year, at the time which they had intended of trying to get into Formula One, IndyCar race winner Alex Palau, who you may remember from Formula Two, he was potentially a contender of being in one of their seats. But um, getting into Formula One is never easy. If you were to consider that $200 million fee of just getting in along with having the budget and you know considering staff wages and over costs that's something that needs to be considered so getting to form the one is never as is never easy at all do you know what i think i'd really love to see though be a lovely story even though it's nothing to do with me and you can't go around spending other people's money for them you know he said uh, i noticed sebastian vettel watching the formula two um last weekend and and he's talking about new drivers and more drivers coming up, you know, the young guys. And I, you know, in an ideal perfect world, wouldn't it be nice if some of the drivers got together and uh, put the finances up for, for a new team, you know, and uh, like I say, I'm spending other people's money for them here, which <laughs> isn't right. I wouldn't want anybody doing that to me, but I think it'd be lovely to, that'd be a real good way of giving back to the sport, um, you know, for sure. Yeah, absolutely sure. Um, we'll go on to another story now. This is to do with Mexico. So Mexican F1 Venues Extension Hospital is to wind down. An extension hospital that was opened at the location of Formula 1's Mexico City Grand Prix, the autodrome Hermanos Rodriguez, that is, will be wound down in the coming weeks. A facility of the Mexican Institute of Social Security, IMS, IMSS, it stands for, was set up in the pits and paddock complex of the autodrome Hermanos Rodriguez in May 2020 due to the pandemic. At its peak, the facility featured 340 beds and had 1,300 medical workers. Due to reconversion of hospital units elsewhere in Mexico City, the, the extension hospital ceased to function on July the 15th. In a statement released by Mexican Grand Prix organisers, they thanked the dedication and commitment of the doctors, nurses, social workers, orderlies, administrators and the rest of the IMSS staff who joined in a coordinated effort to respond to the challenge presented by the pandemic. Formula One returned to a reconfigured Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in 2015 following a 23-year absence, though did not compete at the venue in 2020 due to the pandemic. 
This year's Mexico City Grand Prix is currently scheduled to take place on October the 31st as the middle segment of a triple header that includes the United States and Sao Paulo events. Jordan, um, I don't know what you think, um, but I'd like to think that this is good news for, you know, for one wanting to go to Mexico, but I don't know, it's just the situation of the pandemic over in Mexico with the different variants going around. Should this be good news for Mexico or should it be bad news? Well, from what I gathered when I read it, it seems like good news, but with the different variants going around, like you said, you can never say that it's going to go ahead. Like you've got 100% of like this will be going ahead. It's, you just can't like a few months ago or a couple of weeks ago, we probably never thought that Silverstone would be going ahead with fans because of like the lockdown and everything. But I think maybe they'll do it behind closed doors. I think that's what will happen at Mexico. I don't think there'll be any fans, um, which is obviously a shame, but it's, either it doesn't happen or you have it behind closed doors if so you don't risk anyone um but i'm looking forward to it returning yeah or another option la is to have fans there but in zones around the circuit like what paul ricard did when they allowed fifteen thousand spectators there per day but in like groups of five thousand or something like that I love, I'm not so sure this is going to go ahead. I'm not sure that, uh, you know, apart from Sochi, you know, which is considered sort of a major long haul destination, worldwide destination, uh, you know, because it's on the other side of Russia. Um, I'm not so sure any long haul Grand Prix are maybe will go ahead. I don't know any information. I'm, I'm not privy to anything whatsoever. And, and I don't want to start being some kind of, you know, rumor mill. Um, but I just I'm just basing this on the pandemic alone and what happened last season. I don't think um, any long haul is going to go ahead. I have a feeling I think I feel like Brazil is already being discussed as a no go. And so that's obviously one of them out of the triple headed gone. I don't feel Mexico will go ahead. And I also am I'm quibbling about the USA because they they are opening up the USA, uh, you know, because a lot of the the Americans there have had their COVID vaccine, COVID, COVID, <laughs> COVID vaccinations. That's probably what we should call it, COVID. Yeah, let's call it Covine. It just pushes it all together, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I've been Covined. Yay. <laughs> um, I'm not so sure even the US will go ahead. I don't know because don't forget that Formula One, they're still they're still got their bubbles going. Uh, they, they have changed things a little bit from last season regarding the bubbles, but they've still got their bubbles. They're still, um, you know, sort of keeping everything as strict as they did. And um, even regarding, you know, press, extra press, all, all the people that are normally there, you know, teams are still kind of running a little bit on skeleton crew, but maybe not as much as last season, but still a little bit more. And one of the, the things about last season was the majority of the teams are traveling around on chartered flights. Um, you know, already where they could get the whole team on one, one aircraft and they were leaving um, airports, you know, Farnham, local airports like that. 
Um, whereas for long haul destinations, I don't think that even F1 is in a position to be chartering aeroplanes for all of the teams to go down to Brazil or to go over to Mexico City. So that you have to think about logistics as well, um, where, when us guys, you know, just sitting here, you know, I'm sure the FIA and the teams are already sitting around tables talking about logistics, but, but us guys speculating here at home and wondering what might happen and what races might go ahead because we all want the races to go ahead of course we do we're, we're fans and we love it um, and we've also got you know like the w series joining as a support series and, and they're supposed to be you know with f3, f3 uh, uh, going to the america it's like yes fantastic they're getting a long haul destination but um i just kind of feel like i don't think it's going to happen till next year i'm still i'm still doubtful about australia um you know and I don't it's not even in a pessimistic way I'm not I don't want to be a, a Debbie Downer <laughs> I'm just trying to be realistic and think that these decisions are going to have to be made relatively soonish because these even though they're actually a race circuit they still need to start preparations for those races um, and I think that the long-haul destinations logistically will still be a little bit tricky for the teams and for the personnel to be getting out there as well as all the equipment you know and all the cars and everything like that around Europe yep got it down to a T no problem but long haul hmm. yeah I mean I'm have to say you know it could come down to which states in the US are safe and which others are not I mean if Texas is safe okay fine I think Formula One should just you know do two races there or if Indianapolis is also open you know go from Texas to um, Indianapolis then great we're going we're going back to the uh, IMS for once which I think Formula One has been itching to go to for many years and I think um I can't remember his name, uh, Penske or George Penske or whatever his name is, one of the organisers or one of the representatives for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm sure he's keen about Formula One racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, maybe as an alternation with the uh, Circuit of the Americas. We'll have to wait further down the line. We are in June after all. The races are not until late October. And we already know that Singapore has already been cancelled for this year. So it's a matter of time for the likes of, um, I think, Russia, realistically, LA, it will go ahead. I don't know how many fans will be able to attend, but I re realistically don't see that going off the calendar. If you consider Sochi as one of the money conscious for Formula One, Formula One needs that money, given what they've already lost due to the pandemic in the last 18 months or so. Um, Japan as well. I mean, Japan are, are predominantly focusing on making sure the Olympics goes ahead. I think the Japanese Grand Prix, I think it's on a knife edge. I really, I really don't, I, I, to be honest, if they had the choice between the Olympics and a Formula One Grand Prix, it's the Olympics all day long, because that's like one in a lifetime for the people in Tokyo or one in a generation. Whereas and don't one, forget how far the circuit is away from Tokyo, you know, away from where, where all the teams land, it takes such a long time to get to that circuit as well. Yeah. And Austin is questionable. Mexico is questionable as well. Brazil, don't see it at all nowhere near safe enough for Formula One to be thinking about going there yet. Um, Australia, not convinced it'll go ahead given what um, I think the Australian, I can't remember if it's a president or prime minister, but it's, it's almost the same role as each other as it relates to the UK. I don't see it going ahead either. I think they're very strict when it comes to COVID. I think once they know a, case, a COVID case is around, they'll just react quickly and put it into lockdown again, because that's what they do over in Australia. 
and Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, we know those two will be going ahead as, as plans. So I think it's just between where Russia are and Saudi Arabia, in terms of the events, when they are being staged, those are the ones that are in question. And Formula One is in no shortage of venues to replace them, i.e. Istanbul, Hockenheim, Nürburgring, Mugello. There'll be no shortage of events that could host, that could, um, host races. So go to the Styrian Grand Prix weekend, guys, to finish off the show. It's round eight of the Formula One World Championship at the Red Bull Ring. Now, this is the first of two events at this venue for this year. It's a 71 lap race. The first Grand Prix was held in 1970 on the original Osterreich Ring that was uh, originated in 1969 as a replacement for the Seltenweg Airfield Circuit. The track known today as the Red Bull Ring was more or less created over the winter of 1995 and 96 when Hermann Tilke was engaged to turn the Osterreich Ring into a shorter, more modern racetrack. So when was its first Grand Prix? The A1 Ring, as it's then called, was opened in 1996 with Formula 1 arriving at the circuit a year later. Jacques Villeneuve won the race while Jean Lacy had a spectacular crash when his Benetton climbed up the Ferrari of Eddie Irvine. Alasi's teammate Gerhard Berger, meanwhile, used his home Grand Prix to announce his F1 retirement. So what's the circuit like? Well, we know what the circuit's like. It's only a wee, bless it, but the Rebel Wing uh, packs a lot into a short lap. The first half rewards power as the cars blast along three straights, separated by a pair of uphill right-handers. But then as the drivers work their way downhill, the circuit becomes a regular toboggan ride as the cars canyon through a series of quick corners, including the accelerating Rint right-hander named for Austria's first F1 champion. So, you know, the Red Bull ring, you can't deny it. I mean, when it went off the calendar after 2003 LA, I think, you know, Formula 1 really missed it. But when it came back in 2014, I was so glad it did came back. And it's hosted more races than ever in the last few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I kind of feel it's a, a nice little comparison to Spa in a way. You know, there's some incredible um, elevations at the circuit and some, you know, tight, twisty corners there. Um, and it's, it has seen some very spectacular incidents and accidents there as well over the years. Uh, you know, including was it was it Weber? Did he hit that back? Was that there at Austria when he hit that back marker and went flying up in the air? Am, uh, I, at, am I at the correct race? Yes, it was. Um, did you say Mark Weber? Yeah, was it Weber? Uh, no, um, I know. I'm just trying to think. Um, well, Mark Weber's only outings in Austria for Formula One was in 2002 and 2003, okay. uh, or Minardi and Jaguar. So I don't think it was him. Would you say it was a wet race? No, 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 it wasn't a wet race. No, uh, it was just I think a very, it was the I think it was the very particular end to his race. But anyway, yeah. write in, let us know which one it is. I I'm think, not, I think it was the Heifel in Sakuma Salto 2002, where Heifel lost control under braking, missed Juan Pablo Montoya's Williams, and T-bone into the side of Takuma Salto's Jordan. Well, yeah, even that, uh, yeah, just some incredible racing, and I, I, it's a real kind of racing circuit, isn't it? And it has everything. And last season uh, was fantastic to have both the races there, and two very, very different races. I think initially, because we'd waited so long for F one to, to start, um, you know, nobody being sure, and everyone being a bit, bit scared about the pandemic and scared about teams and drivers, to then have the the first two races, and I think people were thinking how's it going to be having two races it's just going to be the same 
it's going to be the same race the second weekend it's going to be a bit boring you know watching and it wasn't was it <laughs> it was incredible um but uh, you know the weather system really which is kind of also why i'm comparing it to spa a little bit because those mountain ranges you can bring in any kind of weather and the views the scenery when if you can't actually be there when you're sitting at home sometimes when you're watching a race uh if the race isn't terribly exciting then um you know it's it, and it's, it's just a circuit then i think sometimes i can zone out a little bit but if there's some fabulous scenery to look at you know the helicopters are whirling around you're looking at the mountains and and whatever i'm really looking forward to it and um you know it's great that there are two races there again that i'm looking forward to and you know just i don't want to digress back to what we were just talking to but you know, if there's um, going to be another double race again this season, then I'm kind of thinking uh, Bahrain might, uh, you know, get it, get another chance if we do lose a couple more races. But anyway, back to Austria. Sorry. <laughs> OK, well, you, you know, if there was a choice of having two races on the at the same circuit back to back weekends, Austria would most certainly be one of them at the Rebel Ring. I'd be all for that. And you mentioned Bahrain. I wouldn't mind another race in the outer loop. I just don't want last year's to be the only time we'd use that outer loop for Formula One. It was just fantastic. And of course it was for Formula Two as well. It was it was great. Loved it. Jordan, your say on the Austrian Grand Prix week. Oh, it's the Styrian Grand Prix weekend. So I'm often missing you know, it was it's the Styrian Grand Prix this weekend. Effectively it's on the same circuit as what it would be for the Austrian Grand Prix. How are you feeling for this one? Um, I'm looking forward to it. I wasn't too sure when it first got announced about the two races again. Um, because obviously we had it last year and Yes, there was very different results, but this year it could be completely different. Um, but then I've been looking at the weather in advance and already for this weekend, it's expecting rain, like for the whole weekend. So it could be completely different. One weekend we could have rain, the next it could be completely bone dry and two different winners, maybe different podiums. It's, I'm looking forward to it, but I just don't want it to be the same two weekends in a row. Um, so, yeah, I think it's definitely one to watch out for. Well, if the weather speaks for itself, LA, we could be in possibly the race of the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, keeping everything safe, <laughs> um, which is safety paramount, safety first. But yeah, let's have some rain. Let's have a slippery circuit. You know, let's um, let's test these tires again as well. <laughs> but yeah, like, I love it. I, I love a, a wet race. You know, I think it, it it separates the boys from the men sometimes. You know, or um, some people like Yuki Sonoda. <laughs> Imagine him in the rain. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic um but yeah and um, so uh, yeah apologies for my misinformation as well um so i did have a little bit of mix up in memory there but you know in talking about ageism it's my age i put it down to my age not my blonde hair i think matt weber was some i think it was valencia uh that he had the the accident i'm thinking of and i'm just merging memories a little bit getting a bit too excited about this um double austrian grand prix that's going to be happening um but yeah let's let's have some clouds let's have some myths. we don't want too much don't forget because obviously we don't want to delay uh we don't want there to be you know red flagged and we've got to wait for visibility for helicopters um which has happened previously well let's not have it that bad but let's have a bit of rain well we've had wet qualifying sessions in 1998 2016 and in the 2020 steering grand prix could we have our first wet race in austria for formula one 
since goodness knows how long. Um, I'm trying to remember the last time we have to go back to the days of the Ostrike Ring, if there ever was um, a wet race. But if you remember in 1987, LA, there was that uh, three starts, um, that one. I don't know if you remember that one, but I still remember that on the back of my mind. I think Mansell had a problem on one of the starts and there was just chaos behind on the start finish straight on such a narrow part of the racetrack. Um, yeah, no, I'm going to have to look back at that. I do yeah. not remember Well, that. you'll, you'll see where I'm coming from. It may flash back in your mind when you watch it and maybe you as well, Jordan, because that was another race where, you know what we had in, um, I think it was Mugello where we had three race starts. Well, that one in Austria in 1987, the last ever race that Formula did on the old Ostrike ring, um, that had to be done in like three starts because of incidents at the beginning. So that's something for you to uh, look at post um, podcast. So who, let's do some predictions for this weekend, guys. LA will begin with you. Who do you think will take pole position and your top three race finishers, please? Um, I don't think it's going to be dissimilar from this weekend um, at all. Um, it's going to be the Red Bulls and the Mercedes, uh, however they they uh, juggle it. Uh, you know, don't forget Valtteri is quite handy at qualifying. Um, and I think he's got a bit of a bee in his bonnet at the minute. I don't think Cole is well in the Bottas camp, uh, the, you know, the Bottas Mercedes camp. Um, and he's going to be trying to prove a point, really. Um, although was it was it Austria? I mean, don't let me get mixed up again. Was it Austria last year when he was mowing the grass? Um, In qualifying, yes. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope he doesn't go off doing mowing the grass again. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't really like predicting because I I always get it wrong. <laughs> I'm a bit well, rubbish. Well, do get it wrong, but when someone does eventually get it right, we all go into. Uh, well, yeah, well, let's say, all right then, well, let's say Max, Valtteri, then Lewis. Yeah. Jordan, what do you think? Paul Sitter and your top three finishes. I say Max will get pole. And then I think Lewis will do a little bit of a rain dance on Sunday and um, slip in that win there. And then I think Max second and Bottas third. I'll go. You, I'll, yeah, go. I'll go for Lewis for the race win as well, especially if we get a bit of rain, definitely. But that was my three qualifiers. So sorry. It's okay. Um, in terms of my predictions, Paul system will go for Verstappen. And I think if the rain does come down on Sunday, I think Lewis will put on probably a similar performance to what he had in Istanbul. I just I think he knows the tyres very well in terms of the Pirelli intermediates and the Pirelli wets. And I think he'll use it to his advantage in any way he can. Verstappen will finish second behind him. And I think Charles Leclerc will get his first podium of the season for Ferrari. Because I think Ferrari could do a really, really strong weekend off that disappointment um, at Paul Ricard. And they are in that fight with um, McLaren and the Constructors. So Charles Leclerc will finish third on the podium to pick up his first top three finish of 2021. Can I be controversial? I'm going to say Lando is going to get a podium if it's raining. Yeah, well, that wouldn't be a bad shout. I mean, last year's um, Istanbul race, um, Hamilton had won ahead of Perez and, I oh, know, Vettel and, uh, was it, I'm trying to remember if it was, yeah, it was Perez second and uh, Vettel third. So could maybe all of a sudden Perez finish on the podium as well because we can't discount him. Who knows? We'll leave it there, guys, because we are out of time. Thank you for, to everyone that's been tuning to this week's podcast. Um, next week, Nathan Hine, Tina Sperrera and Jack Taylor will be with me to review the steering Grand Prix at the Rebel Ring. From Jordan, LA and all of us at Motorsport Week, enjoy the racing this weekend and it's goodbye.